The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. All right, we are ready for our message from God's Word today, so I'll ask you if you would open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's always a pleasure to open God's Word on Sunday mornings and to discover the next portion of Scripture that the Lord would have us to learn. And our method of determining what that Scripture is is fairly simple for me because usually what we do is we follow a book-by-book, chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse method of uh, expositing the Scriptures. And that is a planned method, and it leads us sometimes to topics that we would rather not discuss, or some people don't like to discuss. I, I, in fact, like to talk about everything that's in the Word of God. But sometimes we have to preach about hell and preach about judgment and the necessity to confess our sins, admit that we are sinners and repent of those sins, then sometimes the subjects that we preach are difficult because it involves unraveling the scriptures, like the end times events. Sometimes those can be hard to get through and and to understand. But then there are other times that the passage we preach is abundantly hopeful and speaks of the wonderful promises that God makes to his people in their salvation. And today's passage is that kind of scripture. It's one in which we turn all of our attention to God and we marvel at his sovereign plan for his children and we rest in his complete control over every area of our lives. Now I want you to look at this text in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll Begin reading at verse number 13. The apostle says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. The title of today's message is The Security of Your Salvation. And I do believe that this is a marvelous doctrine and the text leads us logically to the conclusion of verse number 17 that because of what God has done for you, there is comfort. And there is comfort in the worst of all of your trials. Now, before we begin the exposition of this passage today, a little background information is necessary to understand why Paul comes to this portion of the letter and writes to the Thessalonians to assure their hearts. Now, the context is the persecution of the church and persecution that's coming from every side. These are Christian people that 
have only recently come to faith in Christ, and they were growing, and they were becoming stronger. And although their faith was increasing, there was still some misunderstandings about the difficulties of the Christian life. Now, the Apostle Paul founded this church some months before this letter was written, and he had only a brief time to teach them, and so there were some holds in their understanding. There were some gaps, and, and they became wider because of the persecution that they experienced and because there were false teachers and there were liars, there were despisers of God among them that preached deceitful sermons, that manipulated the Word of God, and even went so far as to forge letters that were written by the apostle or pretended to be. Now, earlier, when Paul was in the church, he taught them about their hope in Christ, how they could depend on the Lord. And he said that Jesus will return for you. He will come from heaven. He will take his people out of the world to be with him, and persecutions will end. Now, we don't really know all of the confusions that were in this church, but apparently one of the things they thought is that when Paul taught about Christ's return, they thought... It was only days away. And when they didn't see Christ, and when their persecutions increased, they were convinced that Christ had come, and they hadn't been taken up, and now they don't know what has become of their salvation. Was their faith real? Was all of this a myth? Is there a misunderstanding? Are they actually saved? And the persecution, or the the, the key to all of this, is that persecution that they experienced. They just didn't understand how Christians would go through this type of persecution. So that's really the driver in the confusion. So Paul had to set them straight about what they were going through. It was not the persecution of the end times as they thought. And so he used the first part of this second chapter to explain events that would come in the last days of the tribulation. And they had not seen those events and they would not see them Because God promised that he would deliver them. And now in verses 13 through 17, the apostle begins to reflect on the reasons that they didn't need to fear anything that they faced in this life. That they were abundantly secure in their salvation. That everything that God promised he would fulfill. Their souls were being kept safe by the almighty God. And everything that happened in their lives fell into a divinely ordered plan. That could never fail. Now that was true of the Thessalonians and it is also true of everyone in this room today who is a born again believer. And that is if you have trusted Christ for your salvation, you are secure in him. And there is nothing that can happen to you that could ever take your salvation away. You are as sure for heaven right now as you sit here as if you are already in the presence of God, looking into the face of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had some reasons for you to believe this. He has some assurances for Christians that God never forgets you, that God never abandons you in your pain, in your suffering, in your sickness, in health, in wealth, in poverty, in happiness, or even in despair. God is always there. You are his child. You belong to him And nothing in this world or out of this world can take that away from you. Now, I want you to look first today at the foundation of your security. What is the foundation? I mean, what is the underlying basis 
for the security of every believer in Christ. Well, if we look again at verse number 13, the Apostle Paul says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. So what is the foundation for security? And I think it is appropriate that the first thing that Paul says in this part of the Scriptures, number one, is that you were selected by God. You were chosen by God. Now I know as I say this, there can be at times groans that go up from the congregation. God's selection, God's divine choice of his people for salvation too often falls into the category of unpopular topics. Many churches don't want to discuss this. They don't want to talk about this. Predestination, election, God's sovereignty. Uh, in salvation, some people that just churns in their stomach and they don't want to hear this. And so they immediately shut their ears. They don't want to hear anything else the preacher has to say. And so they turn the sermon off at the mention of this. Some even won't show up for church because they're afraid that they might hear it. But I can assure you of this, that the apostle was not ashamed of this doctrine. And the apostle never thought that telling these people about their salvation and what God did in selecting them, that is not something to be upset about. This is something to praise God for, and this would be tremendous news to their ears. So this is marvelous, glorious truth, and it's a truth that is repeated in one way or another by everyone that God used to write Scripture. And once you learn about the selection of God's people and your eyes are open to this, then you begin to see it over and over and over again throughout the Scriptures. You start to recognize this is what this is talking about in this passage. It's all about what God did for us and God choosing us. Now those who are enlightened to these doctrines don't struggle about it. They don't hate it. They're not against it. But rather they bow their knees to a holy God and they thank Him that before they were born, before the world was ever created, that God chose them to come to Him in repentance and faith and to trust Him for their salvation. In fact, in this 13th verse, Paul said, We thank God always for you. Why did he thank God? It was because God loved them. God chose them from the beginning for their salvation. Now, if I'm the only one who says this, then you might decide, well, we'll just reject that doctrine, and you would not believe me. But if the apostle says it, you can't choose to reject this and at the same time believe the word of God. This truth stands out in the Thessalonian letters, and Paul used it here as a basis of assurance. Now, you can see this in the first letter in chapter 1, if you just want to glance back to 1 Thessalonians 1. Uh, before Paul started on his course of helping these people with their insecurities, he laid the foundation for what he is about to tell them in verse number 4, where he says, Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. And what did this election in God do? Well, the answer comes to us in verse number 5. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. So he says this election, this selection of you, the selection that God made of you brings you much assurance. And whenever someone responds to the gospel 
uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is proof of their selection by God. And as I mentioned a moment ago, the change of life, the radical switch from one way of life to another, that is something to rejoice about. That's something to be assured in because this proves that from the beginning they were chosen by God. Well, Paul returned to the same theme in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where he said, you are children of the light. You don't need to fear the coming destruction of the wicked. And why don't they? Because he said in verse number 9, you were appointed. And you can underline that word if you're looking at it. You were appointed. You were not appointed to wrath. You were appointed to obtain salvation. We mark that down. You were appointed. It was determined. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, Paul wrote, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ, given us in Christ before the world began. And we can see there that there is acknowledgement that it's nothing that you could do or nothing that you ever could do that would determine your selection. This is done according to God's purpose in grace and it was determined before the world began. And here is one of the ways that we see how consistent that the apostle is in his doctrine. In Second Thessalonians, he says you were chosen by God from the beginning. And then in Second Timothy 1 verse 9, he tells us when the beginning was. And that was before the world began. Paul wrote the same in Ephesians 1 verse 4 when he said, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is the apostle's doctrine. He is consistent with it. He is an apostle of God's electing grace. And he's not the only apostle that said this. Peter said it in 1 Peter 1 verse 2. John wrote about it when he recorded the words of Jesus Christ in the gospel of John. And also when he wrote in the Revelation in chapters 13, 8 and 17, 8 that our names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Well, where did he get this doctrine? Where did he learn this? Well, he learned it from the Old Testament where God's electing grace, his selection is found on every scroll of every book. And more importantly, he learned it from the Lord Jesus Christ who said that he came to give his life for the sheep. And he said the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. He said that the father gave the sheep to him. Well, when were they given? He tells us that. We read John chapter 17 where Jesus prayed to the father and agreed with him that he came to give his life for those that were given to him by the father. And I'll tell you that he couldn't have done that unless the father gave them to him before he came. He knew who they were. Their names were written down in eternity past. And Jesus came to redeem the ones that were chosen for him to redeem. I don't think that we can argue with the truth of this. I don't know why anyone would want to. Because the fact of God's eternal selection lays for us an unshakable foundation for our salvation. If you were chosen for glory... Then where will you be when you die? 
you'll be in glory. Isn't that what verse 14 of our text says? You will obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now can't you see how this marvelous truth would strengthen these persecuted believers? There's no reason to fear. What do they need to fear? As Jesus said to his disciples, you don't need to fear those that can kill your body but can't do anything with your soul. They can't harm your soul. And who has the power to harm your soul? There's only one. That's God the Father, uh, the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And what does the Bible say that they do for you once you trust in Christ? It says that in eternity past, they determined, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit determined that you, by name, were predestined. How much more assurance can be offered them than for God to say, you are in my plan before the first thing was ever created. In fact, you can say the work of Christ in redemption to save your soul is the cause of creation. How is that? Well, the cause of the creation is that Christ would be glorified, that he would be exalted in the creation of the world, that he would make you, and that he would save you for heaven where you will bow down before him and glorify his name forever. Is there greater assurance? Our Baptist forefathers wrote that our perseverance in grace does not depend on anything in us. It does not depend on our will. It's far surer than our will. But rather it depends on this doctrine of election. And they wrote that your selection of God forms the strongest argument. For the security of your salvation. All the other reasons that you are saved flow out of this. This is the very first thing. That God works out every other means of our security. Through this premise that you were appointed to salvation before the foundation of the world. And he will not fail to bring you to glory because of this divine selection. If we fail to make it there, then God's purposes fail. So no, my stomach's not going to churn when I talk about this. I love the doctrine of election. I love it because it's God's plan before he created the world. Well, I wish I had more time to discuss this aspect of our security, but we have more in this passage to consider. Uh, when we started First Thessalonians, that's more than two years ago, I gave you four sermons, three, four, five, and six in the series that were titled Chosen by God. And why did we start the series with those sermons? Well, that's because it's where Paul started. If you wanted to know why he loved the Thessalonian church, then we just need to start where he started. He loved them because they were chosen by God. God selected them for their salvation. And Paul said he would do everything that he needed to do for the elect of God. Now we go on in the text and we find another reason for our security. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Our second assurance is that you were sanctified by the Spirit. You were sanctified by the Spirit. That is, you were set apart by the Holy Spirit. You were separated That's what sanctification is. It's to be separated from others. It's to be taken from among others and made holy for God. 
Now this is then the transformation of a sinner into a saint. Saint also relates to sanctification. Both are about being holy. Well, let's talk about sanctification for a minute. You've often heard me preach from this pulpit about sanctification. Not too long ago, I had a sermon on it. And then last week, before we observed the Lord's Supper, I, I dealt with sanctification, how we need to be ready before we observe the Supper. And the Bible does have much to say about the sanctification of God's people. And what it is, it's a demand for holiness. We read it in the scripture, be holy as God is holy. Now this sanctification in that sense is a progressive work. As you live your life and as you learn more about Christ, you are formed into the image of Christ. Sanctification is about getting closer and closer to the Lord every day and being more like him in your thoughts and your attitude, your spirituality, your consecration to him. Now, this aspect of progressive sanctification is a wonderful doctrine. It's one vitally important. Paul speaks of it often in his epistles. In fact, in his writings, whenever he talks about this common phrase that he uses, the Christian walk or walking worthy, whenever he uses that, this is the subject that he's talking about. He's speaking of our progressive sanctification. But I want you to be aware that in the verse that we have under consideration today, that this sanctification is not speaking of progressive sanctification. But rather he's speaking here of our initial sanctification, that is when the Holy Spirit comes to a person below his consciousness and begins the work of regeneration. This is the same then as being born again. In John chapter 3, Jesus said the Spirit comes, he works like the wind. You can't see the wind, you don't know where the wind comes from, you don't know where it goes. And he used that illustration to say, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. That he comes to you like the wind, he's like breath that comes into you and he works in your heart and he sanctifies you, he sets you apart to God through the new birth. Now in this scripture, we see how he does this. It's accompanied by belief of the truth. In other words, it is as Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now this is what the Holy Spirit uses. He uses the word. He uses the preacher giving the word, a soul winner telling someone about the word, the, the soul winner telling about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with that word, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart through that gospel. And then what happens then? Well, he brings you to belief of the truth, to understand that the word is truth. You hear about Jesus. You learn what he did to save you, that he came to save you from your sins. And then you repent of your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now the question is, why did you do it? Why did you believe in Jesus? Why did you repent of your sins? Well, the scriptures say it is because the Holy Spirit worked in you. He regenerated you. He changed your mind. He gave you a new mind and a will to trust Christ. And you never would without it. You would never believe unless the Holy Spirit works secretly in your heart. And only then do you freely come to Christ in repentant faith. 
Now, you wouldn't do it before because you were enslaved to sin. And so what the Holy Spirit did, he came to break the chains of sin that bind you, and then he released you from the depravity of your soul and from that stubborn will that always refused him. You always resisted until the Holy Spirit came, what, in power. That's what 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says. The Holy Spirit came in power. And that's when you trusted Christ. Charles Wesley described it in his hymn, And Can It Be? He wrote, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. He describes it perfectly there. The chains fell off, then my heart was free. And then he says, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Now listen, folks, so many people cry and complain about their free will and how they believe the sovereignty of God tramples on their free will. But I notice that they sing this song that Wesley wrote, as sweetly as ever, that the will is bound by chains. Not until the Holy Spirit comes and there is a quickening ray, and that simply means a life-giving ray, does that person come to Christ. His chains fall off and his heart is free to come. Well, it begs the question, is faith necessary? Must you believe in Christ or is God doing all of this and you have nothing to do with that? Is it your will to believe? Well, in fact, yes, it is your will to believe. And you must have faith in Christ and you must repent. You must believe, but you never will until the Holy Spirit comes in power and lightens the darkness of the dungeon of your heart. And it's then and only then that you see Christ holding out his hands for you to come. Paul said that in this text as well. Look at verse 14 again. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you see that? He says he called you by the gospel. Now, the truth is the gospel. He called you. And always in the scripture, this calling refers to the effectual work of the Holy Spirit. He called you for what purpose? To obtain glory. See, that's the only reason the Holy Spirit would come to you It's the only reason he comes like the wind. He comes to call you and to ensure that you will obtain glory. He will regenerate you. Now, do you understand why that we preach that this calling of the Holy Spirit is effectual? Some people use the word irresistible, although many times they don't understand the word and how it should be used. But it means that because you were chosen before the foundation of the world, you must be brought You must be brought before the throne of grace. And the gospel is the means to bring you there. And you must believe the gospel. And the Holy Spirit, because his work is effectual in the heart, you won't refuse it in that day that he comes to regenerate. Now, do you understand why it's necessary? Well, I'll throw it at you again. It's because of your depraved will. You would always refuse him. You would never be saved. And if by some chance you think, oh, this decision is all mine, it's all mine, well, then you would always refuse. If it was all yours, you would always refuse the grace of God. And then if you refused him, what would become of God's eternal plan? What becomes of that 
name that is written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world? What becomes of Christ who came to die? The purpose that he came to die was for those that God gave him. What happens to all of that if you do in fact refuse? And so you see, if the call of the gospel is not made effective by the Holy Spirit, then you become the one that is responsible for all of God's plans concerning you from before the world was created. And how could that be? You weren't there. You might trust an irrational God like that, but I never will. I am content to put my eternal soul in God's hands. Always in God's hands. Now, I want you to understand why Paul gave thanks for these people and why they could feel secure about their salvation. Well, it's because the Holy Spirit separated them. The Holy Spirit was working in them. He sanctified them. He regenerated them by hearing the word. And if the Holy Spirit did this, he has full intentions that they will be in glory with Jesus Christ. Now, listen to me carefully here. How did he know they were sanctified? How would he know they were born again? Because Paul does not have the ability to reach into their hearts and see the secret work that the Holy Spirit does in a person. Well, we remember this. We read it in Romans chapter 6 a few minutes ago. The person who is born again changes from his old life to a new life. He forsakes what he was before and he becomes a new creature in Christ. So how did Paul know that they were sanctified by the Holy Spirit? How does he know? Well, he said it in in, in chapter 1, verse 9, in the first letter, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now, if you look at that passage, you might underline that word serve they served that's the transforming lifestyle that gives that the person gives himself into the service of the one true God now Paul could see that he could see what they were doing and so he reminds them of that you serve the one true living God others saw that change and nobody does this unless they're born again Nobody does this unless the Holy Spirit is in them. So they can be sure of their salvation. And Paul also was sure because he could see the results of the Holy Spirit working in them. They believed, and so now what do they do? They serve. And I'll tell you, if you want assurance of your salvation, then you'd better examine yourself and see, are you serving God? Are you holy? Is your life different from those that are around you? Are you different from the people you work with? Or do you do the same as they do? Could could you just skip a service of the church and just go out and do what the world does? Well, those are chinks in the armor of assurance. Those are activities that ruin your assurance. And God won't let you have peace in your Christian life if you truly belong to Him. He won't let you live that way. You are done with the old life. You don't want it anymore. And this is because the Holy Spirit regenerated you and gave you a new life. If you don't know that yourself and your own soul and your spirit, then you have no claims on the grace of God. You have no claims on salvation in Jesus Christ. 
Now let's go on. We need, we need to hurry into the third way that you can be sure of your salvation. Number three is that you have solace in Christ. You have solace in Christ. I hope you understand the word solace. It's not a word that we hear much anymore. And I think it's because people have largely lost the language of our forefathers. But solace was often used in preaching, often used in hymns. And solace simply means comfort. It means to be consoled in times of grief. Now look at verse 16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Everlasting consolation. That is solace. And it says the Lord himself will give it to you. Why do you have it? Because he loves you. He loved us with an everlasting love. He gives everlasting consolation, everlasting solace. Now, I want you to think for just a moment about the word love. We, we hear this all of the time. People say it all the time. God loves you. God loves you. We tell everybody this. God loves you. Well, as, it, as we talk about it here, this is, not, this is not like this meaningless little phrase that's thrown out. God loves you. No, this means that Jesus Christ set his love on you. That he redeemed you. That he gave his life for you. That he was purposeful in giving his life for those that he intended to redeem. Now, those that he loves, he gives his life for. And he makes sure that he takes every one of them to heaven. Isn't that what he said? He said it in his prayer to the Father. Back again, John 17. He said that he would make everyone that the Father gave him perfect. And that they would know that the Father sent him and loved his people even as the Father loved him. Now, now that's powerful, isn't it? I think it is. It's not this little, little ditty that we say, God loves you. You can't say that to everybody like Christ says it. And how do I know that this is a different love and it guarantees security of salvation? Well, Paul happened to write on that as well in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them that are the called according to his purpose. Then in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verses 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And let me remind you that those words were written to some very special people. And who are they? Paul tells us in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? He is writing about God's chosen ones. These are the ones that can never be separated from the love of God. And so do you see how the assurance of our salvation keeps going back to this underlying basis, which is God's selection. Now, nobody has assurance from a theologically meaningless statement that God loves you. When God says he loves, 
It's to those that are never separated from his love. Nobody that God loves will be. So we're not talking about a sentimental love here. We're not talking about some fantasy universal love. We're not talking about common grace and that God takes care of everybody by sending rain and growing crops. No, this is assuring love that God has for those that Christ died for and redeemed. They are the same that are chosen, the same that are regenerated, the same that are called through the gospel, the same that believe the gospel. And they can never be separated from the love of God. This is a love that consoles. A love that gives solace to weary Christians. And so when you're down and out and you think that nobody cares. That's when God is there to comfort you. And again, Paul the consistent theologian wrote about this. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And then let me add this. We find this in the text. How are we comforted? What does God use to comfort the believer? That's in verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. We receive comfort through the traditions. What does that mean? Well, it's not the traditions of the Jews where they substituted their traditions, their commandments for the commandments of God. No, we're speaking here of the truth of the word. It's not the traditions of Roman Catholicism that are found nowhere in the word of God. Well, this is the word itself. The tradition are the words of the prophets, the teachings of Christ, the epistles of the apostles, and they are the truth in sermons based on the word of God. All of that is the traditions, and God uses that to comfort you. So where do you go when you need comfort? You read the word. And you can find comfort all over the Bible in the many examples where God was faithful to his people. You find it here in this epistle as Paul gives the Thessalonians their assurance. You can read it in the Psalms as you see that God's mercies are new every day. Find solace in the Word. It's there for those that are redeemed. And they're the only ones who understand it. And so they're the only ones that can draw their comfort from it. God works through their hearts to make the Word their comfort. So why are you sure of your salvation? Well, you were selected by God. You were sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You have solace in Christ. And then finally, you are secure because you are sustained by grace. You are sustained by grace. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which have loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace... Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. You have good hope through grace. What is good hope? Well, it's a hope that's sure, isn't it? What, what good is a hope for something that may or may not be? Whenever the Bible speaks of the Christian's hope, it's not, well, it could be, or it might or might not be. 
The Bible never speaks of our hope that way. Rather, it speaks of our hope as something that is sure and steadfast. It is as if it's already accomplished. Hebrews 6.19 says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. So what is this hope? Well, it's sure and steadfast because Christ himself is our hope. Christ is the steady anchor. So our hope in Christ is not a maybe hope, it is a sure hope. Second Corinthians 1, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him are amen. That is, so be it, it will happen under the glory of God by us. That's good hope. It's hope. That all the promises of God are perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's good hope in grace. Grace sustains us in this hope. Well, why do we need this grace? And why, why do we need a grace that continues and never fails? Well, there's a good reason for it. And it's because you still sin, don't you? You still stumble as you go through life. You still fail and You need to be picked up every time you do. And the security of your salvation is that God always picks you up when you fall. Psalm 37, the steps of a good man, that is one who knows God, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Folks, that's grace. The Lord knows what you're made of. He knows what your failings are. He knows your frame, as the Word of God says. He knows that you're dust. And He keeps the grace flowing, always, because you need to be sustained and picked up when you fall. You can't get up without Him. And then one more time, we look at what the psalmist says about God. It says, He ordains... He orders the steps of the one who trusts him. Do you want your way? Do you want to sing, I did it my way? Do you always go your way? Well, the one who knows God and is redeemed delights in God's way. Are you worried about your free will? Or are you more interested in God's will? You know, the person's always stuck on that issue of free will... And insist that God's never going to interfere with our, interfere with our free will. He's not really interested in God's will. He wants his choice. Whether or not it's God's choice. But the grace of God changes our mind about this. God changes our disposition. And we can only walk by God's grace if we want to go the right way. And we can only walk by God's grace if we give up our will and surrender it to God's will. In Philippians, Paul says, chapter 2, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's God's grace working in you. And when it is, you can be sure of your salvation. He works in his people to do his will and his good pleasure. So this brings me all the way back to my opening comments. The passage that we have read today is one in which we turn all of our attention to God. We marvel at the sovereign plan that he has for his children and how we rest in that complete control that God has over every area of our lives. 
So if you want to know the security of your salvation, you recognize that God selected you. You understand that God sanctified you. You have been set apart by the Holy Spirit. You rejoice that God gives you solace in His love. And then you are confident that grace will sustain you. As someone had said, the will of God never takes you where the grace of God can't keep you. God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a common theme in Scripture right out of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 31. And the Lord, He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. So we trust God for everything. He gives assurance that you can know you are saved, eternally saved, and you will obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come rejoicing in the truths of this passage. It's a passage that needs to be delved in in a much, much deeper way than I've had time to deal with this morning. Well, we could spend much, much time here, hours, in talking about what you have done for us. Lord, I I pray that you would speak to the hearts of Christians who have been through some very hard times in this past year, whether it's financial, whether it's sickness, whether it's depression, and that's happened to a lot of people. We feel down so many times, but here we can just look at a passage like this and know that you are always for us. That sustaining grace is always there. There's good hope in this grace. There's solace in the love that you have for us and much, much assurance and comfort in knowing that before we were ever born, you set your love on us and intended to redeem us and you made us your chosen ones. Thank you, Father, for that abounding grace that you have given to such unworthy sinners. Help us to acknowledge that and recognize it today. And then I pray for if there's someone here who hasn't come to faith in Jesus Christ, I do pray that your Holy Spirit will work in their heart. And as he works, their eyes are opened and they come in a repentant faith, trusting you and you alone for their salvation. Thank you, Father, for the time to spend with your people today. And we praise your name for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.